0: Today's episode looks at the leadership side of the thought leadership equation, topic today's guest, Sabrina Horn, is well-equipped to address. Sabrina knows leadership quite well. In fact, her new book, Make It, Don't Fake It, explores the ways and means of authentic leadership. She boldly makes the case that organizations and leaders can thrive by leading with integrity, honesty, and heart. This is easier said than done in today's dynamic, topsy-turvy business world, of course. Sabrina's book neatly dissects how a lack of authenticity and empathy can undermine even the most astute, capable, and ingenious leaders. And in the spirit of keeping it real, Sabrina recounts the many trials and tribulations she experienced when endeavoring to maintain integrity and authenticity throughout her leadership journey as the founder and CEO of the highly successful and award-winning high-tech PR agency, Porn Group. It's a great read and I highly recommend the book. Also, in the spirit of keeping it real, here's an important caveat. I've had the distinct honor of knowing Sabrina for more than 25 years, although neither of us would admit to it. We met during the early days of client-server computing when Sabrina's then fledgling high-tech PR agency, which she started with roughly five years of experience and $500 in her pocket, wrapped a raft of fast-tracked enterprise software players such as Peoplesoft, VCs such as Norwest Ventures, and iconoclastic visionaries such as Jeffrey Moore the godfather of high-tech marketing strategy and thinking. I was a reporter and later editor covering the high-tech space and interacted frequently with Sabrina and her team. In my get news or die days, I probably wasn't the easiest writer to deal with. However, I always felt Sabrina and team always treated me fairly and with the utmost of respect. To me, she's always practiced what she now preaches. Throughout her years of CEO, Sabrina has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of leadership from the high-flying expanses of Silicon Valley through the rough and tumble streets of Silicon Alley in New York City, where she relocated from San Francisco after diversifying Corn Group into a provider of marketing communication services, protect companies, and beyond. She later sold her agency to Finn Partners in New York City. For the next 30 minutes or so, Sabrina and I will look at thought leadership through the lens of the many principles and frameworks detailed in the pages of Make It, Don't Fake It. Sabrina. So happy to see you today. Yeah. Thanks for joining us.
1: Uh, it's so great to be here. Um, thank you, Alan, for having me. And I actually think that um, we've known each other for 30 years. <laughs> 30 years. Oh, my goodness. Time flies. <laughs> yeah, time flies. Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's start with uh, a construct from the book, the FACO meter, which you use to analyze the broad spectrum of FACO seen in business. Can you quickly synopsize your phacometer and explain how, where, and why it complicates, perhaps even compromises, an organization's ability to function and communicate with authenticity?
1: Yeah, sure. So, the the meter or the fakeometer um, is a continuum that I created because as I was thinking about all the different ways that people fake it, I had to plot them on. Um, you know, on a a sort of a time span or a continuum from the innocent to crossing the line to, you know, like jail time. (laughs) And so we start off with acting as if, which um, is very innocent. It's actually uh, something taken from cognitive behavioral therapy, where you simply try to um, practice the behaviors that you wish you could exude, like self-confidence. And you practice that until it it becomes more of an actual habit or behavior. Then you, you move into um, faking it in a, in a bad sense. And this is where the, the meme fake it till you make it kind of mutated and took a turn for the worse in our culture and in social media, where you um, exaggerate the truth um, to make a, make a sale or get the money from an investor to um, minimizing the reality of a situation, leaving out certain facts, moving on to omission, uh, truth-telling, which is basically telling the truth but leaving out certain facts, which is very, very dangerous, Um, to then just total outright like deception and and fraud. And so um, most people, when they fake it, certainly in the tech industry, thankfully, don't go off onto that um, one end of the spectrum, but are kind of in that space where they stretch the truth a little bit. And as I said, like some people um, fake it on their resume or tell a little lie in a job interview. The the issue with that is that the truth always comes out ultimately when people fact check your sources or look under the hood at your technology and, and so forth. And, and so the reason why that um, kind of complicates things for a company, right? Is and especially in thought leadership, thought leadership is taking a point of view on something, and you you really can't fake that. And if you exaggerate like your point of view based on certain facts that you've made up or a vision that isn't really true to what your company is executing on, right? That that is false. That is faking thought leadership and, you know, just like, like doing bad marketing, uh, it's in that same category.
0: Yeah, that insincerity always shines through. At least those <laughs> who have the s filter, having yes. grown up as a journalist, it always ticked me off when I could tell mm-hmm. somebody was spouting something they just didn't really believe in. Yeah. It's just, in, just disingenuous. Yes. So, so as a recovering Silicon Valley PR professional, <laughs> you know better than most the thirst, most tech founders and CEOs have for generating buzz and hype about their products, their technological expertise, and the problem-solving abilities they bring to market. To me, it often felt like a game of style over substance. So, how did you deal with that mm-hmm. when you were courting and serving tech companies that just wanted ink, now digital ink, of course? Okay. And how do you separate, you know, the, the motivation looking at it from the well-intentioned earthbound wannabe to the truly breakthrough high flyer that deserves maybe a little latitude to tell the story because it's the future that they're trying to reveal?
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting question. And it it was a skill. The answer is that it was a skill that I developed over time um, because I realized that a lot of these marketing executives and CEOs didn't know how to really use a PR firm. And they just thought that we would spin up some magic and make them larger than life uh, and make their problems go away. But that's, that's not the purpose of PR. The best PR has to peel back that onion, ask smart questions, and in, in, in many respects to be a journalist or to, to act like a venture capitalist and make sure that the company that you're investing your time in to tell their story is telling the truth, right? And um, so we got we got better and better and better at that. And I, I think it's why people repeatedly came to hire us because they knew that we weren't pushovers, that we would give them a, a, the truth within the context of a, of a great compelling story. Now with the, the issue around wannabes and, and real breakthrough companies, you, know, you can count those breakthrough companies almost on, you know, one hand, maybe two over the course of my career. The rest are kind of number two breakthrough companies, or they're riding on the coattails of those companies, or, they, or they're just wannabes. And that, that doesn't mean they're not great companies and that they can't be successful. It just means that getting to the nub of why they're different right and not just making up some like we're building a new category like i don't think so <laughs> you know so it's finding out like why they're unique and different within the context of a larger space or perhaps uh, as part of a larger trend um, and that that is really the art honestly of of part of what we did as
0: a pr agency what i always found is you weren't just dialing for placements you were looking to build relationships that were sustainable that had some real meaning with journalists who could really yes. appreciate and understand what it was that your the company you represented was trying to do and deliver to the marketplace so i always always found that um, your pitches were never overly self promotional for your clients or dumbed down and sophomoric i always said you know if you guys called me it was something that my readership needed to know about yeah Clearly, you know, at, at times I probably was a little dismissive to, to some PR people. You know, you're busy. You, you don't necessarily have the ability to, to, to contend with all of the, the noise out there. And, you know, I think I at times were short and maybe bordering on rude. But um, I, I guess my, my question here is, so how do you work with clients to make sure there's enough truth and substance to, to get the journalists jazzed about wanting to consider writing something about the client, yet not revealing too much because there's some sensitivity, there's things that are are essentially uh, still works in progress. and But you knew because you understood the journalist's mind and you wanted to function pretty much as a journalist, as a sounding board, mm-hmm. uh, that you, you had to give them something that was edgy and newsworthy. But, uh, you know, so
1: how do you balance that? Yeah, I mean, so there's two parts to that the relationship that we had with you and with other journalists was the, was the most important thing to preserve because without you and your respect and your willingness to work with us, we wouldn't be able to tell our clients stories and annoying you with these sort of bogus pitches and, not being intelligent enough to sort of look under the hood, even one level beyond the surface, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to talk to us, you know? Um, and so that was a forcing function in another way to keeping our clients honest about what they really were making. And th- there were several times in my career when, uh, you know, a CEO would say, you know, do you really need to know that? I'm like, well, I need to know the truth so that within the boundaries of the truth, I can come up with an interesting angle for you. Um, And so to answer this, you know, the second part, um, you know, how how do you, how do you make something sort of compelling or how, how do you, how do you do that? It, I found that so often a company would lead with, we're the leading provider of blah, blah, blah. And, you know, actually they're not, <laughs> and they're not, you know, they're maybe like number 10 company in a sea of other companies making a whole bunch of things that sort of fit in that category. And it's not, it wasn't what they made. It was the problem that they solved and their value proposition and getting to, to that first, right. This company is interesting because they solve this problem differently and most importantly, it, it was getting their customer, their our customers' customers, right, to speak on their behalf. And as you know, like a vendor can say anything they want, but it doesn't have as much credibility as one of their customers saying, so here's why I bought it, here's the problem it solved, um, and, you know, if, and whatever else, like so I would buy it again, or, you know, we're excited about it. Right, Very good. So let's probe a little bit
0: and can make the connection to thought leadership now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, thought leadership in in our view is all about conveying an organization's best and brightest points of view on its knowledge, its problem solving expertise. And as you point out from a customer perspective, why is it important to the customer? It's all about conducting research to truly understand the customer pain points and to reveal the solutions that deliver on the outcomes that are promised by the vendor. So, this ultimately conveys eminence for the company and its subject matter experts who you know you put out into the marketplace or be writing white papers and and whatnot, so kind of a long winded way of asking what are the best approaches that you've discovered along the way to develop thought leadership in the form of position papers, blogs, byline articles, videos? What has worked from your perspective working with your clients over the years
1: I think um, for first of all it's uh, understanding what the value of those pieces of content are um, and what actually what thought leadership is. There are a, a lot of executives who who don't understand it. They think it's, oh, uh, I have to have come up with a point of view. And how about this? Will that work? Like, well, do you believe it? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's really taking a more holistic view of what your vision actually is for the technology that you're making and how that disintermediates or disrupts a certain sector or just how does it improve the, the way people live and, and work? Um, and then looking at if that's at the core, then you know what are all the spokes of that wheel? What are the different messages that you can say? Ultimately, though, Alan, it's about the audience. Right? Because you're all you're doing thought leadership for someone. It's not just to, to hear a pulpit to hear yourself talk, although there are a lot of executives who like that. Um, you know, it's ultimately about the audience and what you want them to understand from that, what you want them to take from that? Is there any action you want them to take from that? Do, do you want them to call one 800 software to take a look at what you, what you make? right? Um, and so it's, it's really being rather strategic about it, not just putting out a 500 word piece of something that who, who's going to
0: care. Right. It's, as we used to say, as a journalist, uh, you got to write from your reader's point of view, Good you've got to put them in your head and understand what it is they need to hear from you on. Otherwise, you're never going to succeed. Mm-hmm. So now putting your strategy consulting hat on, do you think that PR agencies, and this is just a generic question, are best equipped to develop deep dive thought leadership? I mean, they're good at identifying publications, placing byline articles. Yeah, for sure. I get that. What about actually framing ideas and writing compelling thought pieces? Are they up to the task?
1: Yeah, I mean, some agencies are. And the agencies that that are good at it know that they need to hire the expertise to do it and this isn't just being a good technical writer it's really understanding how that technology works and how that market who the players are in, in the market and the the landscape of how that piece of software comes together and what it actually does you most PR people um, are communicators they know how to perhaps pitch a story or put a campaign together. Um, But that, that what you're talking about, is a real specialty. Um, We, at times, tried to do that when we had, for example, uh, like a a specialty practice area of companies in the cybersecurity space. And we thought, you know what? We've really got something here. We should invest in a professional writer who comes from that world you know, maybe a former journalist, um, or maybe just somebody who who has worked in house for at another company. But those people are expensive, right? And and you need to keep that resource busy. So um, I guess the answer to your question is yes. Some agencies do that well, but you you can't you can't just put an account executive down and you know have them write a a five hundred word or a thousand word article about. Um, the intricacies of application integration software—it's you know—it doesn't—you'll it, it, ruin your credibility. Absolutely. It,
0: in my travels, you know, tech companies, you know, particularly those in the hardware and software product spaces, really struggle to create high-impact thought leadership. Some believe, and I think I'm one of them here, is because they're smitten with their own products, valuations mm-hmm. of their firms, their transactional thinking, get revenue or die kind of thing, that they sometimes can't see the forest through the trees. Do you agree
1: with that assessment or do you see it another way? What I witnessed, those companies and those people always started off with great intentions and, and probably created something that was reasonably good. And as those pieces of content circulate around a company for input, they get watered down, Right. They'll say, oh, no, 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 we can't say that. That's going to expose us here. And then somebody else will say, yeah, this doesn't really resonate with our core messages in our positioning. And so what happens is it's like everything in the kitchen sink. It gets watered down. It has no focus and it's just a piece of bland. Marketing copy that has lost its edge and doesn't make the point that like thought leadership is supposed to be edgy a point of view is a point of of the view and um i i do think that's actually what happens i've seen it so so many times and then someone like me uh, or, or or you would have to say like well what what's really the point here this is just marketing speak unfortunately, that doesn't happen all the time. And so the thought leadership that does get out there is just not really even interesting. Yeah, It's it's always amazed me because
0: many of these folks are the brightest people you'll ever meet in business or in your personal life. I mean, they're just brilliant. They can't get outside of their own heads. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's remarkable. And and you, you know, when you were in Silicon Valley and in New York as well, I mean, you, you know, mixed it up with a lot of celebrity, rock star type CEOs and smart subject matter experts. And I'm I'm sure you saw the good, the bad and the ugly of all of that. But how about working with superstars like uh, PeopleSofts, Workdays, Dave Duffield or mm-hmm. Jeff Moore for that matter? What did they teach you about thought leadership done right, if, if anything?
1: Oh, you know, what they taught me is just the sheer clarity of what they were saying and the brutal honesty with which they said it, right? Their integrity and their, their integrity about their message and their clarity and how with every question I would kind of like dig a little bit, they would still stick to that. Never faked it. They never faked it. And they, and they were humble. They, said, I don't know the answer to that, when I would ask them, or they would say, that's an interesting question. Um, You know, let me think about that, right? And they never dished out dirt on anyone else. If I asked their opinion of how another company might view the same thing, they would say, well, I don't know, you'd have to talk to them about that. And that is such high integrity, authentic leadership.
0: Yeah, I mean, having worked with Jeff on some thought leadership over that rings true I mean he's just a, a gentleman a scholar and a pleasure to work with and he's got the highest of integrity of many of the folks of his stature that I've ever worked with Dave Duffield was always very interesting and I remember once I did an interview with him what was the favorite headline I've ever written over the years field of dreams
1: oh okay <laughs> that's right I remember Which I thought, that you
0: know, yeah. you know I'm smitten with my own headlines but anyway <laughs> um but but you talked about, you know, thought leadership having to be edgy, having to have a point, having to be done and told with integrity and honesty and being transparent. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes, and uh, not everybody would agree with this, is that you sometimes have to look at it, you know, through the lens of being real. And in your book, you talk about optimism versus pessimism in terms of how CEOs need to lead and set a mood for their teams and convey a vibe, you know, sort of a North Star value prop mm-hmm. at least to the outside world as well as internally. So can thought leadership work if it's honest, but pessimistic? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, because the future of work, you know, yeah. the future is highly distributed, as we mm-hmm. all know, it's somewhat uncertain, and you, know, you can
1: shine it up and say it's wonderful but you know there's Uh, some downsides to it at the end of the day you have to be honest and and realistic and and if that if the outlook isn't great then that's reality and it is what it is but i will say this um people look to leaders for honesty and reality but they also look to leaders for a path forward so it's okay i would say it's okay to be honest if if that means being a bit pessimistic about where things are but it does require that you say that may be the case here are some options to move forward here here is the path here's what may be possible here's what needs to happen in order for these things to improve right because for the privilege of being a leader and putting out thought leadership you know pe- people will look to you and will follow you for that path otherwise I why would I read something from someone that gives me no hope
0: right yeah that's a a good way of looking at it um in the book you say that that ideas are easy to come up with execution not so Mm -hmm. any sense of how best to ideate and execute when it comes to thought leadership anything come to mind from your best practice
1: uh yeah I mean um you know, there's always a process, right? Like, um, there—it's easy to come up with ideas. There are a lot of bad ideas, um, bad ideas, and bad execution. You know, there's no hope there. Good ideas and bad execution; those ideas never see the light of day. And in the context of thought leadership, right? It, it starts with what is your intention with this? What is your objective? And then again, the audience, I mean, I don't need to want to sound redundant, but it's who is this for? And is this um, what they want to hear? And then in that context, how, how you know, what, what are the things they need to know, good, bad, or otherwise? What, what is missing from what they need to hear that maybe would give you an interesting twist? That's where research comes into play and and then, and then, from there, it's okay. It's not just one piece ever. it's it's a sense around. It's a three hundred sixty degree wheel of we tell this the piece of thought leadership this way. and then we tell through this channel and then through that channel. and then there's different angles, and it all ties together in this beautiful little ball. and 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 then and then the circle repeats itself, like, how did they respond? Did anybody care? Do you have the mechanisms to, to sort of see what they think about it or if they took any action and then and then change it and, and rinse and, re- and repeat? So it's having a rigorous
0: process and thinking deliberately about what it is you're trying to accomplish, who you're trying to influence, how it reflects on your organization, your subject matter experts, as well as the the, the market overall. Is, is it really adding value? Is it adding to the conversation? You really have to think about what you're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, too many people don't go through that, that process. And, and so they put stuff out and spend a lot of time and money to put stuff out there that isn't making a difference, you know? So also in the
0: book, you talk about the significance of the L words, lead and lose, mm. and that organizations really need to conduct a postmortem to understand what went wrong when they lose and being transparent really helps to extend authentic leadership. And we connect this to thought leadership, say an initiative that was launched with the best of intention that falls flat. I mean, how should an organization do a postmortem with integrity and empathy, not finger pointing, and
1: mm-hmm. trying to
0: figure out how we can do better next time? Because as you <laughs> said just before, it's not a one and done process.
1: Yeah, I'll never forget when um, Peter Finn, after I sold my company to Finn Partners, Peter Finn asked me as the tech practice head, he said, so do you think if we do some thought leadership through HubSpot, we can increase revenues by 2 million in a year? <laughs> and I just said, I, I had to sort of think about how I was going to respond to that. And, and I, I said, no, not without really taking a step back and looking at a much bigger picture of how we generate uh, revenue. I mean, a, an effort like that would have fallen so flat and um, not been good for my career. And, and so when things don't go well, right, it's not about, um, it's absolutely not about finger pointing. It's sort of sitting down and saying like, okay, here's originally what we th- why we did this and what we thought and peeling back that onion and saying, well, where did it go off the rails? Like, why did no one care? Did we not have the mechanisms to to track response? Or was it that we had the mechanisms and people were just not interested? And maybe we need to go back to the drawing board and do some more research about what this group would, would actually be interested in. Are we appealing to their hearts and minds? Or are we just spouting off more stuff that we think is interesting, but they may not care about, you know, you ask yourself all these questions and the the key to a successful post post postmortem is being honest with yourself and encouraging, like it's the leader who has to, to um, facilitate this and to be the first person to want to learn and to be humble so that other people feel like their, their backs aren't against the wall and they can be honest. And and then the final piece is okay. So let, let's try it again. Let's do these things differently. And here's how we're going to measure it and make sure that that's then institutionalized in a new process. Because I've seen so many postmortems, like great conversations, but the the ideas that come out of that never be are put into play. And so people make the same mistakes all the time. Because there's
0: really no silver bullet in thought leadership or anything else related to marketing. Really, in you know, an interdisciplinary, it really is a collaborative effort among your subject matter experts, your, your digital and social marketing teams, your design, your editorial smarts, your ability to activate it in the right place and time so it gets in front of people. Just because you build it doesn't necessarily mean it will come. Right. And and ultimately when you do that postmortem, you have to look across the continuum and say, you know, where did things fall apart in terms of the handoffs and the collaboration and the ability to work effectively as a team and you all share the risk reward and and hopefully you look at it that way in your postmortem such that you know you do better next time. It's all about continuous improvement. Yeah, improve Nobody gets it. it right the first time.
1: Yeah, it's it's also so often not may not even be about that particular campaign or that piece, it may be, it may have been just fine, but it may have been done at a time when something else was being put out or something else was happening that took away more airspace or attention space. And so you have to really look at the big picture in terms of all of the elements, you know, uh, because sometimes something that didn't work two months ago may actually work five months from now just because there's nothing else competing with it or there's more headspace for it or something happened that make, is making people focus more on that one particular point.
0: Yeah. As an addendum to that last question, I love your explanation about the trouble bubble.
1: Oh,
0: you adapted yeah. from the kid's game yeah. trouble. So how would this work in trying to master the art and science of thought leadership? Any, any thoughts there?
1: I mean, I, again, I think it's it's um, kind of going back to that process, right? It's um, if, there's, if there's a problem, if there's trouble, like, OK, rather than just react to it, take a step back, what were we trying to what were we trying to do with that? And where did it go off the of rails? Um, what's working for us what's working against us what's missing from this from this picture that we need to get more information about is there a different angle to dealing with this situation that maybe we didn't think about right and it's not it's also not about what are the tactics first like well we should you know get this out on this day and you know we should put in a piece of direct mail at the same time and you know social media post on Instagram like the tactics come at the end and all of the stuff between the ears has has to come first and the, the tactics fall out of all of that yeah yeah and you have to think of them up front in order to make sure they don't
0: appear as if they're just bolted on last minute if you're not yeah. considering them when you start then it's it's too little too late and I found yeah. that in a lot of thinking in fact. I was thinking as you were speaking just before, way back when, when I was a cynical journalist, <laughs> to have this, uh, used to have this uh, kind of equation in my mind that the more press releases a company put out, the more trouble they were in. Yeah. <laughs> you used to call that the Unisys syndrome, yes. you know, where you just throw out a lot of press releases, hope something sticks to the wall and captures somebody's imagination. And wow. today that's social media is to some degree. You know, mm-hmm. they just rant and rave on you know, all kinds of topics. It's a cry for attention
1: yes, well the the spray and pray method of communications is is still not very good. I remember those days as well when it was literally like a, we had a client uh, who shall remain nameless, and it was literally like they would put out a press release about their janitorial service. you know, like it's just yeah. not interesting. and there there is that problem also with thought leadership where you put out too much. And none of it is being heard. Right? It That's just right. just becomes noise. And so, what you do do with thought leadership has to be very purposeful, very intentional, and incredibly strategic. I mean, less can be really more. Oh, definitely I'm right. Absolutely, you know, hundred uh, percent.
0: I had the unfortunate consequence of working for a highly diversified global company. Every business unit thought their points of view and and their thought leadership was the ultimate. And, you know, we were constantly increasing the volume of what we had to say and, and probably flooding the market with a lot of messages that maybe weren't heard.
1: Before yeah, before. and it also it gets annoying, you know? Mm-hmm. You, don't wanna, you don't wanna hear from that company anymore. It's just like, it's just too much. And then, and then you have to like regain your credibility from that It's that's very hard to unravel from that and come back, yeah. Last question here. Um,
0: You you write about uh, this, you know, a lot of great detail in the book. And again, the book is phenomenal. Thank you. Your voice really comes out knowing you as long as I've known you. Mm -hmm. I almost feel as if you're speaking to me as I'm reading the book. And that's That's really good. Yeah. Thank you. It's It's a very, you know, personal and uplifting tone that you bring to the conversation, which is great. But an authentic CEO stands up for him, herself, their people, their values. And if you don't and something goes wrong, as you write, the CEO is complicit. Mm-hmm. And, and this is critical when it comes to thought leadership, because really the thought, leader, thought leadership needs the agenda needs to be set by the CEO to some degree. I mean, I've worked in organizations where the CEO knew exactly what he wanted to have mm-hmm. said and wanted somebody to go out and just take it and run with it and had the trust to uh, allow me and my team we were empowered to do what was right. I, I guess the question is when when it goes when this goes awry for the CEO and their companies in tech and beyond, is there a reason? Is there is there? Can can you mm. speak to why a CEO may end up being misguided here?
1: Yeah, you know CEOs are leaders are are humans too, and the reason why that goes awry and why they may fake it or why anyone fakes it is because they're under pressure. You know, or it's like if they don't make the quarter, they're going to have to do a layoff. Um, they need wow. desperately to tell a more compelling, exciting story than the one they've been telling to keep their investors with them. Um, and, you know, it's easy to exaggerate the truth just a little bit to kind of like keep the wheels on the bus. And, you know, then and then. From there, lies begin lies, and you know we saw that with certainly with Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos, but um, you know that that was a, a you know obviously a, an extreme example. But it's easy to kind of go off track sometimes because you've got these other pressures to to deal with and to stay the course and to be honest and to say like you, you know to find a different story to tell that's honest, you know, that's not interesting enough. That's not what they want to hear. We need to spin this up, right? And that, that is why leadership is so hard, you know, and, and why staying down the, the straight and narrow is, is imperative, but also incredibly yeah. difficult. And if your thought leadership doesn't reflect that, Mm-hmm. um you're
0: in a lot of trouble and no matter how and where you communicate other things it's not going to be taken seriously
1: yeah be- well then you're going to put something out and people will call you on it like i said earlier you know you'll be exposed like you said in this piece that ran in the wall street journal blah blah, blah that you know you're doing this now what's the status of that you know has, has your vision changed because we don't see any progress there And if you're a publicly traded company, you know, you're really dancing with the devil.
0: That's so true. Why don't we end it there? Really appreciate your time and your insights, Sabrina. Mm -hmm. Wonderful conversation. Let's keep it going.
1: Okay. Thank you, Alan. Had a great time talking with you.
0: Sabrina's insights on thought leadership are critical in a world where far too many people are faking it, not making it. They see half-truths and outright lies as fair play in business and pleasure and the only way to make friends, influence followers, and get over on people. From her former PR perch in Silicon Valley and Silicon Alley, and in her position today as a strategy consultant, Sabrina tells it like it is. Leading with authenticity, integrity, and heart can set the stage for truly powerful and meaningful thought leadership initiatives. As she noted, you can't fake thought leadership. CEOs that can establish their company's unique take on their expertise and problem solving capabilities or make up their vision as they go will not be taken seriously in the marketplace of ideas. A disingenuous thought leadership effort will end in tears. Trust me. Moreover, it will reflect poorly on the CEO and his or her overall marketing efforts. Authentic leaders must not only understand the value of thought leadership content and what action is expected, but they must also understand the role thought leadership plays in the overall marketing mix. Many execs, particularly in Silicon Valley, still don't understand thought leadership. Their knee-jerk response is to claim that their firm is a category leader, even when they do not have a unique solution and problem-solving approach, nor do they have the facts, figures, and evidence to back the claim. This approach just doesn't cut it. Interestingly, Sabrina contends that tech PR agencies worth their weight of their retainers know that they need to hire experts to do thought leadership well. This means bringing in someone like a former journalist with the ability to get under the covers of the tech and the market need and create something that will truly resonate with customers. Many tech companies start their thought leadership with good intent, but the end result is usually watered down by competing voices and by those who say, we can't say this or that because it will expose us. It doesn't connect with core messages and positioning. What results are bland assets that lack focus and reek of market speak, not substance. Thought leadership points of view need to be edgy. That's why they're called a point of view, as Sabrina rightly noted. Thought leadership can't be candy coated It needs to be realistic. If the outlook is not great, be honest and say so. But offer a path forward of what can be done to improve the situation. And when things go wrong with thought leadership, conduct a holistic post-mortem to ID the triggers that failed to gain awareness and interest. Then make sure to action what you learn. One closing thought. When a CEO's thought leadership goes awry, it's usually because they're trying to fake things to make a quarter or two. Lies often beget lies. It's easy to get sidetracked due to financial pressures, but reverting to fakery won't solve anything as Sabrina noted. There's no recovering from being called out on an untruth, be it big or small. Keep this in mind next time you plan your next big idea. We look forward to seeing you next time on Everything Thought Leadership.